It is good to keep close the secret of a king, but it is honorable to reveal the works of God. Such were the words of the angel to Tobit after the incredible recovery of his sight from blindness, and after he experienced those dangers from which he was saved because of his piety. And just as failing to keep the king's secret is dangerous and destructive to oneself, similarly, keeping silent about the marvelous works of God endangers the soul. Hence, fearful of remaining silent about divine things and discerning the danger encountered by the servant who, after receiving the talent from his master, buried it in the earth and hid it, thus making no use of it, I shall in no way keep silent with regard to the holy tale which has reached me. No one should disbelieve me when I write what I have heard, either thinking that I am talking altogether about marvels or being amazed by the extraordinary occurrence. For God forbid that I should give false account of or tamper with a story that mentions God. To have mean thoughts unworthy of the majesty of the incarnate word of God, as well as to disbelieve what has thus been said, does not seem to me sensible. If there are some people who happen to read this account and allegedly because of their amazement at the extraordinary aspects of the story, refuse to believe it readily, may the Lord be merciful to them, because they too, thinking in terms of the weakness of human nature, find it hard to believe extraordinary tales told about human beings. I now proceed to narrate an event that took place in our own times and which was told by a holy man, trained since childhood to speak and act in accordance with the divine truths. Nor should this lead into disbelief readers who assume that such a miracle could not possibly happen in our times. For the grace of the Spirit in all ages enters into holy souls and maketh them friends of God and prophets as Solomon taught with divine inspiration. It is now time to begin the holy narration. There was a man who lived in the monasteries of Palestine, who was adorned both by his way of life and by his speech, and from infancy (coughs) was brought up in accordance with monastic principles and customs. Zosimus was the name of this monk. One must not assume that I am talking of the Zosimus who was once accused of being a heretic, simply because of the name. These two men are totally distinct, and the difference between them is great, even though they both have the same name. <clears throat> this Zosimus then followed the right faith, and from the very beginning lived as a monk in one of the monasteries in Palestine, pursuing every kind of ascetic practice and entirely mastering self-discipline. For he obeyed every rule handed down to him by those who had trained him in such a wrestling arena. He also devised on his many on his own many ways by which he sought to, to subdue the flesh to the spirit. In this goal he did not fail. For the monk became so famous for his spiritual qualities that many monks from the neighboring monasteries, and sometimes even distant ones, often resorted to him to be molded and trained in self-discipline by his teaching. And even though the monk was famous for his ascetic practice, yet he never neglected the study of the Holy Scriptures whether going to sleep or waking up or holding his handiwork or partaking of food, if one can give the name of food to what he ate. He had one ceaseless task, which never ended, namely to sing psalms continuously and always study the Holy Scriptures. Some also say that the monk was often deemed worthy to receive a divine vision through illumination from God. For as the Lord said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Thus those who have cleansed their flesh and always keep the vigilant eye of their soul alert, 
see visions of divine illumination, thus gaining a foretaste of the good which awaits them in the future. <coughs> Zosimus told us that he was given to this monastery when he was still in his mother's arms, so to speak, and pursued the ascetic discipline in this place until he was 53 years old. After that he was disturbed, as he said, by certain thoughts, namely, that he had become perfect in all practices and did not need anyone else's teaching at all. For, as he said, he thought to himself, Is there a monk on earth who can teach me anything new, or who has the power to help me in any form of ascetic discipline that I do not know, or have not practiced? Is there any man <coughs> among these leading a contemplative life in the desert who surpasses me in ascetic practice or spiritual contemplation? As the monk was mulling over these thoughts, someone approached him and said to him, Zosimus, you have exerted yourself well and as much as is possible for a human being, and you have traversed successfully the ascetic path. But there is no man on earth who has achieved perfection. In fact, the future struggle will be greater than that of the past, even though you are not aware of this. In order for you to learn how many other ways lead to salvation, go forth out of thy land and out of thy kindred and out of the house of thy father, as did Abraham the venerable among the patriarchs, and go to that monastery which is situated near the river Jordan. Obeying this command, at once the monk left the monastery, where he had followed the monastic life since childhood. <clears throat> when he reached the Jordan, the most holy of rivers, he was led by the one who had ordered him to go to that monastery where God had commanded him to be. After knocking on the gate with his fist, he first met the monk guarding the gate, who announced him to the Father Superior. <clears throat> the Father Superior received him, observing his monastic habit and his pious character, while Zosimus made the veneration customary for monks in receiving his blessing. Then the Father Superior asked him, <clears throat> From where do you come, brother, and for what reason have you come to us humble monks? Zosimus answered, It is not necessary for me to state from where I come, but I have come for my own benefit, Father. Because I have heard glorious and commendable things about you, capable of bringing the soul near to Christ our God. Then the Father Superior said to him, It is God, my brother, the only one who can heal human weakness, who will teach both you and us the divine will, and guide us to do what is proper. For no man can benefit another unless he, each one, constantly turns his mind within, and exercising self-control performs his duty, having secured God as his helper. But because the love of God, as you say, moved you to visit us, humble monks, stay with us, if indeed you came for this reason. And through the grace of the Holy Spirit, the Good Shepherd will feed all of us. He who gave his life as a ransom on our behalf, and he who calleth his own sheep by name. When the Father Superior said this, <clears throat> Zosimus made veneration once more, asked for his blessing, and after saying Amen, remained in that monastery. There he met monks who distinguished themselves both in the practice of the ascetic life and spiritual contemplation, and who showed a fervent spirit in the service of the Lord. Indeed, they continually chanted psalms during all-night vigils, and always had handiwork in their hands, and psalms on their lips. For they did not indulge in idle talk and were not preoccupied with carriage for material things. 
They did not even know the names of the revenues that were assessed and collected on a yearly basis, or the cares pertaining to the hardships of daily life. But they all eagerly pursued their one and only primary goal, namely, that each one of them mortify his body, since they had died once and for all as far as the world and worldly things were concerned, and they did not exist among the living. <clears throat> they received the God-inspired sayings, the Holy Scriptures, as their inexhaustible food, while they nourished their body with the only the utmost necessities, <clears throat> that is, bread and water, depending on the extent of the fervor of each monk toward divine love. When Zoosimus saw these struggles, as he said, he was greatly edified, striving for progress and constantly intensifying his course of monastic life. Since he had found fellow travelers who were admirably recreating the divine paradise. After many days had passed, the time came when Christians traditionally observe Holy Lent, so that they may purify themselves in advance so as to venerate the divine passion and resurrection of Christ. Normally the gate of the monastery was never opened, but remained always shut, providing in this way the opportunity for the monks to pursue their ascetic life undisturbed. <clears throat> in fact, it was not permitted for the gate to be opened for a monk except in the case of necessity. For the site of the monastery was in the desert and was not only inaccessible, but also unknown to the majority of the neighboring monks. The following rule was observed in the monastery from the very beginning, on account of which rule, I think, God led Zosimus to that particular monastery. I shall now describe this rule and how it was observed. On the Sunday, which customarily gives its name to the first week of Lent, the divine liturgy was performed as usual with each monk participating in the undefiled and life-giving sacraments. And then, according to custom, <clears throat> they partook of a small portion of food. Afterwards, they all gathered in the chapel and after long prayers and many genuflections, the monks kissed each other, and each one embraced the Father Superior. Then they made obeisance and asked for his blessing, so that they would have it with them as an experienced fellow combatant in their forthcoming spiritual struggle. After these proceedings, the gate of the monastery was opened, and all the monks came out singing, singing in unison. The Lord is my light and my Savior, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defender of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? And the rest of the psalm. Often they left one or two monks behind to guard the monastery, <clears throat> not to guard what was stored inside, for there was nothing that could be taken away easily by thieves, but so that the chapel might not be left without ministry. Each monk provided his own food as much as he could or wished. One carried bread with him in proportion to the need of his body, another dried figs, another dates, another legumes soaked in water, <clears throat> while another carried nothing at all apart from his own body and the ragged habit he wore. And whenever he was hungry, he fed himself with plants that grew in the desert. <clears throat> Moreover, there was a rule that each monk observed as an inviolable law, not to be concerned with the way that the other monks practiced self-restraint or conducted themselves. As soon as they crossed the river Jordan, they separated and moved far away from each other and made the desert their city. No monk approached another, <clears throat> but if one of them saw another monk coming from afar toward him, he immediately turned away from his intended direction and went to another place. Indeed, each monk lived for himself and for God 
chanting psalms continually throughout the day and occasionally tasting some uncooked food. Having spent all of Lent in this way, they would return to the monastery on the Sunday before our Savior's life-giving resurrection from the dead, which the church traditionally celebrates with palms as a preparatory feast. Each monk returned to the monastery, having as the fruits of his own purpose his own conscience, which knew how he had labored and with what toil he had sown the seeds of his spiritual struggles. No monk asked another anything whatsoever about how or in what way he had exerted himself in his struggle. <clears throat> this was the rule of the monastery, and in this way it was well fulfilled. For when each of them is in the desert, he struggles by himself under the supervision of God, the judge of the contest, so that he may free himself from the desire to please men or to practice self-restraint in order to show off to others. For those actions undertaken for the sake of men and performed in order to please them not only do not benefit the one who does them, but are an additional cause of much harm to him. So Zosimus, following the customary rule of the monastery, crossed the Jordan, taking with him a few provisions for his bodily needs and the ragged garment that he wore. Indeed, he followed the rule as he walked through the desert, making time for food whenever he felt hungry, and at night he rested by lying down on the ground for a while to get some sleep wherever dusk overtook him. He began to walk again very early at dawn, never relaxing the pace of his movement. For, as he told us, he wished to go to the innermost part of the desert, hoping to find a holy father dwelling there, who could help him to find what he longed for. He continued his journey rapidly as if he were hastening to reach some renowned and famous monastic abode. When he had journeyed for twenty days at the sixth hour of the day, he stopped walking for a short while and turned toward the east, offering his usual prayers. He used to interrupt his journey at regular intervals during the day so that he could rest for a short while from his exertions, chant psalms, standing and kneeling, and praying in this way. While he was chanting psalms and looking up to heaven with an alert eye, he saw the shadowy illusion of a human body appear to the right of where he was standing and performing the prayers of the sixth hour. At first he was alarmed, suspecting that he was seeing a demonic phantom, and he shivered with fear. But after he made the sign of the cross and shaken off his fear, for his prayer had ended, he looked again and saw that in fact someone was walking in a southward direction. What he saw was a naked figure whose body was black as if tanned by the scorching of the sun. It had on its head hair white as wool, and even this was sparse as it did not reach below the neck of its body. When Zosima saw this, he was inspired with pleasure and filled with joy at the, that incredible sight, began to run in that direction to that this creature he saw was heading. He rejoiced with joy unspeakable, for all those days of his desert sojourn, he had never seen the shape or shadow of any kind of human being, or of any animal, be it winged or terrestrial. So he sought to find out who this creature was, and of what sort, hoping that he would become the observer or witness of some great marvel. But as soon as that creature saw Zoosimus coming from afar, it began to flee and run toward the innermost part of the desert. And Zoosimus, as if mind, unmindful of his old age, and with no thought for his fatigue from his journey, hastened and exerted himself to overtake the creature that was running away from him. Thus he was pursuing while the creature was being pursued. But Zosimus's pace was quicker, and little by little he drew nearer to the fleeing figure. 
When he had approached close enough that his voice could be heard, Zosima started calling out these words tearfully. Why are you running away from this old and sinful man? O servant of the true God, wake up for me, whoever you are, in the name of God, for whose sake you dwell in this desert. Wait for me, weak and unworthy as I am, for the sake of the hope that you expect as a reward for these toils of yours. Stop and give to an old man your blessing and benediction, for God never abhors anyone. Zosima said this with tears in his eyes, while both were running toward a place where a dry stream bed had left its traces. I do not think that a torrent ever existed there, for how could a torrent appear in that land? But the place happened to have such a setting.